If we can acknowledge this is where I'm weak, these are areas that I struggle with, then we put fences around it, not so that we're not even, not tempted, but we're not even close to being tempted in those areas. And the beauty is what that means is that each one of us needs to fence our yard in some place, because everybody is tempted by something, and no temptation is worse than anyone else's temptation, because we all have it. I think it was Oscar Wilde who said, the only thing I can't resist is temptation. The hard truth is that everyone struggles with temptation. Though it may look different for each of us, giving in to your area of struggle will lead to pain and destruction in your life. Today, Pastor Daniel encourages you to be honest about the things you know are a struggle for you. He says that you should put boundaries around them so that you don't even come close to giving in to that temptation. God will give you what you need to stand firm. Here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Leviticus chapter 15 as he continues his message, Emissions Check. agree if our husband, our brother has a continual flow from either part, we're going to be concerned and we're going to go to a doctor, right? Yes, right? So this is very normal, but this was before modern medicine, the American Medical Association, all these things. So when this is happening, then right away we get the regulations for the unclean person. And once again, they are quite uh, stringent. First, every bed is unclean on which he who has the discharge lies and everything that he sits on shall be unclean. That's verse four. How many of you, when you're sick, when you wake up, you wash your sheets, right? You guys do that, right? Why do you do that? Because you figure there's probably some funk in your sheets, right? And you don't want whatever it is to get passed around. So normal American clean people, when they're sick, they clean their sheets. And that's exactly what it's saying. If... If, if there's a discharge, whatever you sit on, whatever you lay on, that is considered unclean. It needs to be watched. Verse 5, and whoever touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. So whoever is tending to this person, whether it's a family member or a family friend who's there helping, after they touch the stuff, they need to wash, take a shower, and they need to be separated from the people until the evening. And you got to remember, in Jewish culture that we've adopted, it's the, the day begins in the evening. Like our day, new day begins at midnight when it's dark out. So the idea is, is you have a day away from the people because if you have been contaminated, God doesn't want that passed along. So you have to be separated. You take a shower, you bathe, you do not re-enter the congregation so as not to spread potentially something that you may have caught from the person with a discharge for one day. And that's pretty good practice, isn't it? It's, it's just normal cleanliness. Like if your kid has a cough, you don't send him to school. Why? Because maybe that cough's going to be passed around to all the other kids. And so this is just normal, even though the reasoning is not normal or we don't like to think of it as normal, all this makes a whole lot of sense. In verse 6, he who sits on anything in which he who has the discharge sat shall wash his clothes 
and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. He who touches the body of him, verse 7, who has the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. So once again, if somebody is who has a discharge, if you inadvertently don't realize it and you sit on their bed or they're sitting on a seat and you go and sit down with them, you didn't realize that they were there, then again, you got to wash, you got to be separated from the people so as not to spread these germs. Now, notice what happens in verse 8. If he who has the discharge spits on him who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. So imagine if you're taking care of somebody and they either spit on you because they're mad at you or more likely they hack up on you and you get some on you. Once again, you got to wash, you got to change your clothes, you're separated from the people. So all of this is simply a fence being put around illness so that illness doesn't spread. And let's be honest, from a perspective of biblical Christianity, there's a good case that could be made for putting fences around ourselves and our lives from the sinful habits of other people. How often have we found ourselves in a situation where we're not partaking in sinfulness, but we're around it, and then before you know it, we become desensitized to it, and then we find ourselves involved in it. So part of this is God puts a fence around his people because Safety is of a high priority for God, and it should be for us. Now, I am not saying, and I've never advocated that Christians should remove themselves from everybody who doesn't know Jesus and doesn't love Jesus, but we also have to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. We have to be. I have a buddy who calls that, we need to be a snake bird. It's a good phrase, because you're wise as a serpent, which is a snake, and you're gentle as a dove, which is a bird. We need to be snake birds. We need to be really smart, very wise, and we need to be very gentle. And we can have friends, acquaintances, but we don't have to do everything that they do. You will not lose their friendship if you do not partake of everything. And if you could lose their friendship by removing yourself from one thing, then they're not really your friend anyway. One of the, a personal example for me was, you know, as I've said before, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. All of my friends I grew up with, none of us knew Jesus at all, and and I remember when one of my buddies got married, it was like, we're going to go have a bachelor party in Las Vegas. And I was like, no. I love you guys. I can't go. And they were like, oh, come on. I'm like, listen, no. I love you guys. Can't go to Vegas with you. Why? Because I know that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, except what doesn't stay in Vegas. And you know what? I love Jesus, and I love my friends, and I don't want to know what happened with them in Vegas. I had one buddy who came back with a broken arm from Vegas. I didn't even ask. I'm like, I don't even want to know. But I knew that me going to Vegas, nothing good was going to come from that. N- nothing good going to come from it. And guess what? I was still in the wedding party, still really close friends with my buddy. But I didn't have to go to Vegas with him. And I think we have to be wise as serpents in putting fences around ourselves. And one of the main ways that we learn to put fences around ourselves is we have to be honest about where we're weak. Where we're weak. And listen, even though our culture says that weakness is bad, our Bibles say that in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect, which means our weakness is God's prime time to be strong. And so if we can acknowledge this is where I'm weak, these are areas that I struggle with, then we put fences around it, not so that we're not even not tempted, but we're not even close to being tempted in those areas. And the beauty is what that means is that each one of us needs to fence our yard in some place because everybody is tempted by something. 
And no temptation is worse than anyone else's temptation because we all have it. I think it was Oscar Wilde who said, the only thing I can't resist is temptation. So we're all tempted in different ways. And we just have to be okay to say, this is where I struggle. And it doesn't matter what it is because God knows we struggle. Jesus died and rose again to forgive us all the ways that we gave into our temptation. But we have to be willing to put a fence around certain things. So like, if you're one of those people who can't get on the internet without looking at some garbage or being tempted, then don't go on the internet or go on the internet with a filter on your computer or only do it at certain hours. There's nothing wrong saying, look, I am tempted on the computer and I want to love God and honor him with who I am. Some people need to change jobs because there's people at your jobs that are temptations. Some of you, you can't do certain things. Like, yeah, it's Super Bowl Sunday coming up. And I know everybody is rooting for uh, a team from Seattle. No, this is, you know, I'm just kidding. But you know what I mean? It's like some of you can't go to the Super Bowl party. Let's just be honest. You can't go because you know what happens when you go. And nothing good happens when you go. So watch it at home. Invite a couple of friends over and say, look, whatever we do when we're having the Super Bowl party, we're not going to do this because we know if that's there, I'm going to struggle. Whatever your area of temptation is, put a fence around it because you know what happens Sin and destruction begins with a small decision. Nobody ever woke up and said, I'm going to ruin my life. I was just talking to a friend of mine today. Man, this guy, I just love him. And he went off the rails, pastor, out of the ministry right now. He said, if you would have told me a month before that this was going to happen in my life, I would have probably either punched you in the face or told you off. He said, it was just no way. Totally off the rails. Completely. And he's like, look, I had a prodigal son experience. I came to my senses. And he's like, and I asked him, I said, so what was going on? He's like, I didn't put fences around my garbage. I pretended like it wasn't there, even though I knew it was there. He's like, I didn't fall into sin. I walked into it. I just didn't want to acknowledge what my struggles were. And it just reminded me how important it is that we be a humble community where people can come and say, look, I'm tempted. And there's no judgment because we're all tempted. And let's, let's be honest, we've all given into our temptations at different times, and God's grace is sufficient. So we need to be able to come alongside one another and say, listen, okay, that's an area of temptation. I'm going to ask you how you're doing. What are the fences you're putting up? Because that's how the war against the world, the flesh, and the devil's won. And God puts fences. He's not saying that the person who got spit on or who sat on the saddle that the person with the discharge did, he's not saying that they're unclean. He's just saying, I just want to make sure that they're not so that everyone doesn't get sick. And brothers and sisters, put fences around your struggles. And don't pretend that you don't have struggles because we all do. We all do. Every single one of us is tempted. And in every single way, God has given us the escape route if we are willing to take it. Now, once again, you have if whoever touches verse 10, anything that was under him who was unclean, they're unclean until evening carries any of those things, shall wash his clothes. Verse 11, and whomever the one who has the discharge touches and has not rinsed his hand in water, he shall wash his clothes. So again, any way that whatever this discharge is can be passed along. Notice if, any, if they sat on it, because if the discharge is from the abdominal area, things underneath you have a chance to be contaminated. So again, fences being put around. Now, when you get to verse 13, gets a little bit more personal in some ways, or 
we're getting there. This is the cleansing ritual. Look what it says. And when he who has the discharge is cleansed of his discharge, then he shall count for himself seven days for his cleansing, wash his clothes, and bathe his body in running water. Then he shall be clean. On the eighth day, he shall take for himself two turtle doves or two young pigeons and come before the Lord to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and give him to the priest. Verse 15, and the priest shall offer them the one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord because of his discharge. So now once again, after this discharge ends, then he goes to the priest, he presents himself to the priest. The priest does an examination. So the priest here functions like a health examiner or like a doctor. There's a seven-day waiting period, and then there is the usual offering. And we've been seeing this all the way through, a, a sin offering and a burn offering. So the idea is, is that once it stops, there is still a, a buffering period. Remember we saying that that seven-day period, it speaks to us of recreation. Just the way Jesus was resurrected on the first day of the week, on Sunday, part of the new creation. That's why Christians historically have gathered on Sunday, never saying that it was the new Sabbath day, but in a, in a sense, when Jesus rose again, it's a brand new Sabbath. Not the Sabbath based on calendar, but the Sabbath based on who the Messiah is. That's why Christians have always worshipped on, on Sunday. Always. Always. And even though, I know there's some religions that pop up that you have to worship on Saturday, as if God doesn't accept your worship on, at only certain times. I hope you guys realize there's nothing more absurd to say that God does not accept your worship on other days of the week. We're created to worship every day of the week, all the time. We should gather every single day of the week. Just the way people say, oh, if you don't pray in Jesus' name, God's not going to hear you. If you talk to the Holy Spirit, will God hear you? It's not like God the Father is like, oh, you're talking to the Spirit. I want to talk to you. Oh, you're praying to Jesus? Spirit's like, excuse me, if you're talking to my... To Jesus, I just don't want to talk to you because you don't like me. I mean, is there anything more crazy than that? That's legalism. You have to have the special formula. You cry out to God. You say, oh, Spirit, I need you. Oh, Jesus, help me. God, help me. They're all like, yeah, we're one God. You're experiencing us in three persons, but I'm one God. I like, God likes it when we talk to him. He likes it when we worship him. So, again, you have all of this where once there is a cleansing, then there is the readmittance into the people of God. And we've been seeing this, and I keep making the case that no matter how unclean you feel your life has been, when you come to Jesus, he cleanses you, and then you're readmitted to the people of God. And that's God's heart. I mean, how many of us have just been like, man, God has accepted me. I've made a wreck of things in my life. And God's just like, look, I love you. I've cleansed you. Come on back. And that's the way back, just to say, Lord, I've been unclean. I want to be cleansed. And God has already given the provision of Jesus. So again, there is all of the details on how someone is readmitted into the people of God. Now, verse 16, here we go. If any man has an emission of semen, then he shall wash all his body in water and be unclean until the evening. And any garment and any leather on which there is semen... It shall be washed with water and be unclean until evening. Verse 18, also, when a woman lies with a man and there is an emission of semen, they shall bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Okay. God created 
the male genitalia to be able to have something called an orgasm. And in an orgasm, a discharge called semen is admitted. And that discharge of semen contains something that we call DNA, which has the ability to create life. Now, I say all that because it's easy to think of semen. We start giggling and chuckling, but it's kind of a powerful reality when you realize that God in his creation of humanity created the male and female bodies with such creative power. Not only is it creative, but those things feel really good. And I think that's pretty exciting. That's a good thing. But notice, notice, if a man has an emission of semen, it says, it says, he shall wash his body in water and be unclean until evening. So here's, the lesson is, is after you have an emission of semen, take a shower and then rest. Now, you know, I want to make a joke about that. Because those of you who are married know after that happens, guy is in Snoozeville. <laughs> and this is a biological fact. After it's over, it takes an awful lot of energy to do that. And men have a tendency to fall asleep after that happens. But God says, listen, after it happens, be cleansed, be washed, and rest. And then you have until tomorrow. Now, what is interesting is you can read studies by doctors about how after a man has an orgasm, his immune system goes down because the amount of energy it takes. After a body has an emission of semen, because of the energy it takes, a man's immune system is compromised. It's fascinating. This is long before they even realized that. So when there is, a man is asked to take a shower so that nothing is hanging out or around, right? And then, of course, He's supposed to rest. He's not readmitted until later. And, and so that's not a bad thing. I mean, when you think about it from a logical perspective, every guy should be like, right on. I shower and I sleep. Sounds like a plan. Right, you guys? Can I get an amen from the guys? That's right. So, and, and just a point for you married couples, because men biologically do that, you want to do the pillow talk before, not after. Never mind. You'll get there. You'll get there. Notice in verse 17, any garment and any leather in which there is semen, it should be washed with water and unclean until evening. So quite simply that if semen gets on anything, it should be washed and should not be used until the next day. And all the people said, that's right, good. Now notice in verse 18, also when a woman lies with a man and there is an emission of semen, they shall bathe in water and be unclean until evening. So now again, if a man and a woman have sexual intercourse and there is an emission of semen, then they are both unclean until evening. They should both take a shower and they're readmitted the next day. Now I know somebody is bound to be thinking, well, what's the difference between the emission for a man and then an emission with a woman? Right? Someone's bound to ask that. And it normally becomes a question of what is this speaking about masturbation? And the answer is it might very well be. Now, what I want to say about masturbation is this. And I told you this is, I don't think I'm stretching out on the text, but I think it's important to say that masturbation is self gratification. Right? And self gratification is always self centered. It's always self centered. And when we self-satisfy and it's self-centered, is selfishness ever a virtue? No. 
No. And don't forget, because we live in a culture that's experience-driven, and our culture that's experience-driven, it's all about experience, devoid of consequence. Every time a man self-satisfies and emits semen, he forfeits that opportunity to give life, which is way more powerful than just self-satisfaction. So I do not believe that you can make a biblical case for masturbation as some sort of not sinful activity. Now, I know there's someone in here who's thinking, well, if I'm married and I masturbate, I think about my wife, is that okay? And the answer is no. Because if you're married and you're thinking about your wife, then go chase her around the house. She'll like it. That's a word of advice because you know what happens? See, our human sexuality, we were created sexual beings. I mean, I always say it, that when God created Adam, he looked at all the animals in the garden, and there was not a helper comparable. And then God created Eve. And when Adam saw Eve, what did he say? Whoa, man. I mean, that's how she got her name. He was like, whoa. Like his eyes popped out of his head, and he thought to himself, yeah. She's the mother of all living. I mean, he named her being like, we're going to have babies. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But what Satan does is he tries, because sexuality was given by God for God's glory to be a picture of Jesus and the church, what Satan does, he perverts our sexuality. And what happens is when a married man chooses to self-satisfy rather than be jealous for his wife in in a biblical, godly way, he diverts the energy he should be pouring into his wife into himself. And then you know what happens? He feels separated from his wife. His wife, she may not even know he's doing it, feels separated from him. And division is never God's plan. God's plan is always to bring people together. So even though there is the provision, because I believe God realizes what is in a man, and that man is and could be tempted to self-satisfy or however it happens, God makes the provision. He needs to be cleansed either way. But I do not believe that God's sons should be seeking self-satisfaction at all. We should be seeking satisfaction from God. We should learn self-control, and we should invest all of our energy into the wives of our youth. And now, I realize there's a, I just said a lot there. But listen, if you guys, if you're masturbating, you need to stop. You need to stop. You need to take a cold shower. You need to run around the block. You need to do 100 push-ups. And listen, every single guy has struggled with this. And a lot of married guys struggle with it. But if you are self satisfied you need to stop. And you need to say, God, I want to invest this energy in a different place. Because this is not healthy. It doesn't honor you, Lord. Jesus is Thanks for joining us for more from this study in Leviticus chapter 15. Today, Pastor Daniel asked you to seriously consider what tempts you, what things make you stumble. You learn that when you identify these areas, you can put boundaries in place that keep you from being tempted. Pastor Daniel reminded you that everyone is tempted in different ways. You don't have to be ashamed, but can find encouragement and help when you share your struggles with other believers. 
If you've enjoyed Pastor Daniel's teaching today on Jesus is Real Radio, we'd like to invite you to join us at Crossroads Community Church for our Sunday services at 8 a.m., 10 a.m., or 12 p.m. If you can't come in person, you can still be part of our vital congregation by tuning in to our live stream. Find out more at crossroadschurch.net. That's crossroadschurch.net. Hi, friends. Pastor Daniel here. I'd love for you to be part of the Crossroads Community Church family. But I understand some of our listeners can't make it to the actual church building. If that's you, come join us online. We live stream our Sunday morning services at crossroadschurch.net. So grab a cup of coffee and join us wherever you are for our time of worship and teaching. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio and Pastor Daniel finishes up this series on the cleansing rituals God gave the Israelites. You'll continue to see God's great protection and love for his people helping them understand what is clean and what isn't. You'll see that regardless of a person's income, social standing, or ailment, God always makes a way for them to be cleansed and welcomed back into their community. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Cleansing. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.